0: Let's go right to our scripture today, John chapter 2. And we'll read there. I'm going to read a story. This is one of the stories that has been um, preached on probably as much as David and Goliath in the Bible. And I don't mean to do it any harm when I'm preaching. you probably heard lots of better messages out of this story. But I truly believe there's a word from God for us in here today. So John chapter 2, let me find it in my notes. And then we're going to... Sit through me reading it. Amen? right. here we go. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. If you're an underliner, I'm an underliner. Or a highlighter. I'm a story guy. You know, at this point, hearing me preach enough that I go through stories. And so, stories are amazing in the Bible. So I when I read them, it's amazing how God speaks to me, so it pulls out different things. So I'm going to just say different words as we go forward. If you're an underliner, you can underline them, and then we're going to come back and visit a whole bunch of this stuff. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Canaan, Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. You can underline the mother of Jesus was there if you want to. That's important. It says, Now both Jesus and His disciples were invited to the wedding. That's important. You can underline the word invited. It says, and when they ran out of wine, if you're not allowed to get ran out, it's very important. It says, the mother of Jesus said to them, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Do it is very important. If you're going to underline, circle, star highlight whatever you need to do to that it's the answer it says now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece jesus said to them if the water fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim and he said to them draw out now draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast and they took it and when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servant who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out, a good, sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, and, when, and then the inferior, you have kept the good wine till now. And then it says, Thus begins the signs of of Jesus. All right, we're going to jump right into this, if that's okay with you. This is—I love this story because it draws a picture of what life actually looks like from so many different perspectives. This is what life looks like without Jesus. I don't know if you can remember that far back, but when you did not have Jesus. I don't care how big of a party you planned or threw. You know that old song, It's my party and I can cry if I want to. I've never seen anybody's party bring somebody satisfaction, joy, purpose, meaning, fulfillment if Jesus wasn't involved in the party in the first place. Trying to live this life without a relationship with Jesus is like going to a party that has no wine. You better hope they invited interesting people because it's not going to be a whole lot of fun. I can't imagine facing the things that we face or going through the things that we go through or actually getting up every day and being excited about my day without Jesus being involved in my life at this point. But it's amazing to me that there are still people that try to do it. It is amazing to me that people that grew up in church, that knew all about God, can still find themselves trying to live life through the resources or energy of their doing instead of realizing that now that they're here and now that God has revealed themselves to them, that now they have a bigger part to play than getting up and going to bed every single day. There is more to life than what this is. And you guys are rock music listeners. You remember the band Live? They had a song when I was in high school called Live by Live. A real creative. But in the song, there was this terminology. I mean, this verse said, Isn't it sad that life is more than who you are? No, I, that's the greatest part about my life now. I've finally gotten old enough and matured enough to realize that when I get up in the morning, there's more going on that day than me trying to make myself happy. There's more going on today than me getting what I need or what I want. There's more going on today than the care and the needs that I have. I'm a part of something bigger than my comfort and my day and my things that I want. I am a part of either the kingdom of God or I'm a part of the kingdom of darkness. And I better be aware of which one I am and once I am aware, I better be okay with my decision. Because it will be a permanent one one day. If you've not made that decision, you need to know. That if you've not purposely decided to step into the kingdom of God, well, you're a part of the kingdom of darkness. You just don't know it. And ignorance is not bliss when it comes to the kingdom of God. Because just because there is... Um, I don't Maybe there was a day I did not know what gravity was... I did not understand the law that it does and the rules that it follows. It didn't matter whether I knew about it or not. From the day I've been on this planet, the law of gravity has been at work. And ignorance did not keep me from falling. There was a time I wasn't old enough to know that gravity makes you fall, and I was falling all along. The laws of the kingdom work for you whether you're aware of them or not. So as a believer, I better make sure that I'm aware of them so that I don't have them working against me, but I can use them the way God intended them for use and let them work for me. Because if God be for you, the Scripture is very clear. Who can be against you? In the kingdom, every day is supposed to get better. That's why the Scripture says this. Your latter is to be greater than your former. I tell you every day of your life when you walk with the Lord and you do things and you commit yourself and you understand the purpose that you're here for your life gets better and better and better but it's not the with the absence of problems. I love this story because we pick up in the story we find somebody that has a relationship with Jesus. And that person in this story is actually his name is Mary. So if you're an underliner, to me, that's the star of this story. You say, okay, well, this is the story about the woman with the well. I mean, the woman of uh, the wine turned to water turned to wine. Jesus is the star of this story. Well, the truth is, Jesus is the star of every story. But in this story, Jesus would not be at the party if Mary didn't have a relationship with him. In this story, we find it says Jesus, uh, Mary was there. And because Mary was there, the next line in the story says this, And Jesus and the disciples were invited. Aren't you so glad that there are people in your life and in my life that understand this concept? What I've learned is this. Most people, even believers, usually have a guy or a woman that is their go-to, Jesus relationship person. And when we go into a situation that we find ourselves lacking or wanting or deficient, there's usually somebody that we know that is so close to Jesus that we can pick up the phone and get them to call for us. And that's what we found in this. How many times in high school, Thelma, did I call you, Pastor Thelma? Did I call you and say, hey, pray with me about this? What did God say? See, because at that point... I wasn't walking close enough to Jesus to be confident that He was going to answer some of my stuff, so I would go to somebody that I knew would and get them to do the asking for me. The truth is this, Jesus has made it available for me to do the asking all along. I just wasn't wanting to take my position in the kingdom to have to do it. Does this make sense? And what I found is most believers like having somebody that's closer to Jesus than they are, so that when they get in a mess, they can go to that person and get their pastor to pray or their prayer leader to pray, and they don't have to live this lifestyle because they got somebody at their party that'll do it for them. And I'm here to tell you, you were called to more than that. You were called to more than having somebody, if you were going to live that lifestyle, go back to be Catholic. You know, they got priests that get paid to stand in between God and people for them. That's not what we believe here. We believe that when Jesus came, He came to do one thing. Alright? Because He was here for a long time. So why did he stay here for long? As a matter of fact, he was here for 33 years. Why did he stay here 33 years if he, didn't, if he couldn't just show up and die for your sin? If that was what it was all about. Because it would have been a lot more dramatic if they would have killed the baby. You know what I'm it would have been a lot more uh, pretty impressive to, name, to nail the baby on the tree. You know what I'm saying? Everybody would have got back and thought, whoa, that that was worth our sin. We nailed this little baby up there, and yeah, we can see that, but it didn't. Jesus was here for a long time. Why? Because in the Old Testament, you got to understand, again, a lot of this message is going to be basically understanding, not necessarily teaching. Because when you understand... I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Some of you guys grew up in the 80s and 90s? Do you remember um, the old cartoon, uh, G.I. Joe? I used to get off the bus every day, try to run home fast enough. We went to Harney Grove and um, get in there to watch G.I. Joe every day because that's back when we didn't have cartoons all day. You had it after school and on Saturday. And if you missed it after school, you had to wait until Saturday. So I would get home and and G.I. Joe, I loved it because for 20 minutes... They would show you this really cool story, but then the last 10 minutes, they would always convert it over. And I hated this part, but now it's my favorite because it's the only part I'll talk about. It's the part of, it was called the, perfect, the public service announcement. How many you guys remember this on G.I. Joe's? All right, after it was over, they would always role play this little thing, and then they would show you what to do. And this was the statement. It says, now that you know, knowing is half of the battle. You guys remember that? All right, so that's what today is. Today's going to be a knowing because the truth about you and your freedom is not necessarily this elusive thing that God hangs this carrot and you just constantly trying to chase, like on the old cartoons where a carrot's hanging from a fish rod and the, the mule pulling the cart never gets it. There's actually a way to get free. There's actually a way. And the truth is this God wants you free. You say, well, Cricket, show it to me. The Scripture says it is the will of God that none should perish. All right? Well, salvation doesn't mean freedom. Salvation means eternal life. But you can be saved and still be broke. You can be saved and still be depressed. You can be saved and addicted to pills. You can be saved and addicted to alcohol. You can be saved and unhappy. You can be saved, battle mental illness. You can be saved and battle cancer. You You can still be saved and messed up. And what I found out is most of my life I was. But that wasn't God's plan for my life. And I've just decided that that's not good enough for me anymore. I want all that God has for me. So in this story, we find these people wanting to throw a party, but they were doing it without Jesus being the center of, and any time you try to live your life without Jesus being the center, you're going to get the same result we found in this story. They're going to find themselves deficient or lacking, or you're going to find yourself in a place of not enough, or your life's just going to come to the bottom end, and you're just going to run out. I don't know about you. Have you ever been to a place where you just had run out. I've run out of hope. I've run out of energy. I've run out of, you know, love. I've run out, I don't know about you, but in your marriage, have you ever woke up one day and you were your marriage was empty? There wasn't any love. There wasn't any compassion. There wasn't any empathy. Have you ever went to work and your job now seemed empty? It wasn't bringing fulfillment. It wasn't bringing joy. It wasn't bringing purpose. The very thing you prayed for one day, asking God to give you, now that you got it, It's not satisfying anymore. Why? Because you weren't made to just live life. As a matter of fact, you were made to be the one that makes the difference. And hopefully I'm making sense with this, but in this story we find people trying to live life. And the truth is, when you try to live life, you're going to find your life lacking. And here they threw a party, and it didn't say that Jesus was invited until Mary... Had gotten there, so that lets me know if Mary wouldn't have got there, probably pretty good chance Jesus wasn't going to be at the party. So they would have been at this party, and it would have been a disaster. You say, well, why does wine at a party matter? Because the way they did it in these days was the the it was like a three day festival. They would throw it and they would invite everybody in because it was like a a status symbol that this marriage and this relationship is so important that we're putting on this big hoorah so everyone can know how great of a marriage this would be. But everybody was about to see that it was all fake. You ever been there? You ever come to church on Sunday morning with your church makeup on and your church dress on and you get here and the preacher and the Holy Spirit starts dealing with something and right in the middle of it, you realize that everybody's realizing that that's fake makeup you've got on and fake church dress on because the real issue is what you're covering up. And the truth is, this family was facing a real disaster. But thank God they knew somebody that knew Jesus. Amen? Thank God. i got to tell you, there are times in my life where I was so far from the Lord that... I had to go and rely on other people to reach out or get Jesus to respond for me. That's a sad place to live. If you're living in such a way where you have to have other people pray for you because you know your actions, the way you're living, and the things you've done has hindered or stopped or maybe shut some of the power of your prayer down? Because the Bible says the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And you know today whether or not you're living righteous or not. You say, well, what is righteous? Righteous is right standing with God. That's what it means. So you know whether or not you're living right standing with God. And the Bible says the prayers of a righteous men availeth much. Why is that? Because faith affects prayer. And when you know you and you're not living right, when you pray and you're not living right, You're not praying with the level of faith because, you know, your actions are affecting the way you believe. So here we got this party and they, in this situation of it, are lacking. So let's break down why this party is lacking. Because anytime you try to live or any part of your life you try to do without Jesus, it's going to end up in chaos and disorder. That's the principle from the very beginning. In the Bible, in Genesis 1, it says in the beginning was the earth was God created the heavens and the earth. Then it says this, and the earth was void and without form. The Hebrew words are, are tako and bako, I always say Hebrew words wrong. But another way to say that is the world was full of chaos and disorder. Any part of your life that you find The presence of God is not in control or Lord over. The spirit or the presence or the kingdom of darkness is in control of. And the sign that that's where the devil is, is chaos and disorder. Anywhere you find the absence of the presence of God, there's going to be chaos and disorder. In my marriage, if I have chaos and disorder, then I know what the answer would be. I need to turn toward the presence of God. At my job, when there's chaos or disorder, that's my sign for me to turn toward the presence of God. Because anywhere that there is a lacking of Jesus or God being on the throne in my life, chaos and disorder will reign. Well, the solution to chaos and disorder is told to us in Genesis 1. It says this, it says, in darkness, And the earth was void and without form. Then next thing it says, And darkness covered the face of the earth. In what area of your life is darkness prevailing over light? In other words, when you look at that situation, it looks more like the world than it does a promise. Or it looks like more of a circumstance than it does a promise in the Bible. Then that lets me know, this is the area that I need to put my focus on. Then the scripture said this. It, just, it says, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. That's weird. Because we have chaos and we have disorder, but God was there. Isn't that weird? Why isn't the very fact that when God shows up somewhere, things begin to change? Because the truth of the matter is this, that Jesus can be present and not be king. In this story, when we start reading the story of the woman with the i mean the the thing here at the wedding and they run out Jesus was there when everything went wrong i used to think that because there are problems is why Jesus shows up and it's not the case jesus is not present and doing just because there's problems jesus can be present when there's problems but he's not doing anything until there's an invitation this story says it very clear It says that Mary was there, but then what does it say about Jesus? It says Jesus and His disciples were invited. What part of your life Are you keeping Jesus from being able to invade and change? It's real easy for us a lot of times to love Jesus fixing this part, but we don't want him in this part. Because if he gets in this part, I don't get to do what I want to do. I have to do it the way Jesus said do it. But if I do it the way I want to do it, I get the results of the way I do it. And I want the real, and the truth is this, you can't get God's will your way. When you come to the realization that you're not going to live God's will for your life, living your way, you'll come to a place of surrender. And surrender says, God, whatever it is, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, I want your will, and I understand it only comes... From your way. Even Jesus had to deal with this. In the garden. He said, let this cup pass from me. And Jesus, he said, God said, not my will. Jesus said, not my But your will. Meaning, I'd rather it go down another way. But it's isn't about my comfort. My situation. This isn't about me. This is about kingdom. But I also understand this. Anything that I sacrifice for kingdom... God turns and turns good for me. Now, understanding this and things about kingdom processing makes suffering a lot easier. When you know that God loves you so much and the thing about God's love is it says this, For God so loved the world. So was a major part of that scripture. And the devil wants you to know I want you to think that God doesn't love you that way. And I've had to just come to terms making so a major part of my life. In other words, when the devil comes and says, God can't use you because of, I get to use my favorite go-to word now. So, the Bible actually says, let the redeemed of the Lord say, so. You don't understand how many times when I get up or I look in a mirror or I'm dealing with something or I actually failed and, you know, now thinking I'm disqualified, and saying, God, I'm sorry. Then the devil comes and says, yep, yeah, you've blown it now. And then the Lord says, tell him, tell him, you've been waiting, tell him. And I get to say, so what, devil? The blood of Jesus is more powerful. The blood of Jesus says I am valuable. The blood of you've got to teach yourself to say so. So what, devil? Yeah, that may be who I was. So what? Because, see, when it comes to my destiny and the work of God in my life, it doesn't have anything to do with my past. Nothing. And you've got to get... I don't know why I'm on this, but I'm about to bring a Scripture up to somebody and it's just pressing real hard on me. All right? Romans 8, and go to the very last Scripture there. Romans 8, and it's the last... I want to say it's 31. But everybody knows Romans 8 because we like it. It makes us feel good. Romans eight twenty eight says, For we know all things, say it with me, work together for the good, for those who love the Lord and who are called according to His purpose. We love that scripture. But then when you read on past 28, it starts talking about predestined. It says you were predestined. Meaning God put you here and He planned you here, right here, right now. It's not by accident. You're here. And the reason why you're here is because God has a plan. And the way God's plan works is it works through purposes. And you are a purpose in the kingdom of God. Although you're a person, you're a purpose. And if you look in Romans eight twenty-eight, what does it say? It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. That's 29. Go down to verse 31. I want to go to the last verse in this chapter. It says, uh, as for, what, for your sake we were killed. Is that the last one? That's it? Go up to 35. There's a, I'm looking for one word. Alright, there it is. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And remember, we're talking about your past. Alright, so who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, that's in your past, shall distress, Sell persecution, self famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Now go to the next one. 36. Right, for, ra- for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Let's go to the next one. Yet yeah, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Keep going. It says, For I am persuaded that neither, and i check this out, and I don't know why, this ain't in my notes, but somebody, I'm telling you, because I can't get away from it. It says, For I am persuaded that neither in death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things, what? Present. Present. Nor things to... All right. Go to the next one. Nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which in Christ Jesus our Lord... It said all the things that can't separate us. But He left out our past. He said, your present and He said, your future cannot separate you from Christ. But anytime we decide to let our past come into our present, there's a scripture in Leviticus that says that do not reach past the bloodline. It was a, a Levitical scripture and it talks about, you know, when they sacrifice an animal, live as if the sacrifice was enough. Quit reaching back over the bloodline. So many believers have fallen into the process of your past has the power to change your future or even affect your present. And the Bible says that past is different than present and future. Present and future is what God works with. Past is what the devil tries to use against you. And so every time the devil tries to bring your past up, you got to understand this is a weapon that God does not use. As a matter of fact, your past, the Bible says, does not exist anymore. And when when it doesn't exist anymore and you reach back and try to take hold of it, what you're doing is you're stealing something that you gave to God and you're scratching His name off of it, and you're writing yours over it, and taking possession again of something that doesn't belong to you. And that's called stealing. Alright? There's only one other place in the Bible that talks about taking something that belongs to God in a worse case than being your past, and that would be called your tithe. And it said, the Bible doesn't call tithe stealing. The Bible calls tithing robbery. There's a difference in robbery, And stealing. If you don't believe me, go break the law. All right? The the penalty for theft is a certain penalty. But that's only considered theft if I break into your house while you're here at church and you're not home and I take your stuff. But if I wait till tonight and you're asleep in your bed and I break into your house and steal your stuff, that's not thieving, that's robbery. And the penalty is greater. When it comes to keeping the tithe, God says, that's robbery. That's bad. But I'm telling you, another theft is when you reach into your past and you take hold of what God you've already given to God and you take it back. It said this, that your present and your future can't separate you from Him, but your past can. If you want to keep living the way you were, if you want to keep being what you've always been, if you want to go back to doing what God's already set you free from, you can. But it can separate you. Do you hear this? You say, well, Cricket, I am i don't believe that. I believe in eternity. You, you do with what you want to with it. Every time the disciples found themselves without Jesus, they went back to doing what they'd always done, and Jesus had to go back and get them again. Do you want Jesus to have to go back into your mess and get you again? Then you better quit doing what you used to do. Amen? I don't know why that's here. We're just giving it to you, all right? No offering for that one. <laughs> right. So, jump back into freedom. We're talking about freedom. In the process of freedom, you've got to understand that the way the kingdom works is not absence of problems. A lot of believers, once they're saved, want to move into this life that now that I'm saved, my life's going to be absence of problems. And the minute we start thinking that we're in a problem, if we want to keep worldly or kingdom of darkness thinking is we think like kingdom of darkness. And this is how the kingdom of darkness thinks. Did you know in Genesis, and I, the, the entire story of the gospel is told in Genesis. probably one of the greatest books of the Bible. I read it more than any other book in the Bible because it is so amazing how much of Genesis can be seen in the rest of the Bible. But here in Genesis this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that when God stepped into the scene... He started creating life the way he wanted it. And it wasn't until the devil stepped into the scene did that start changing. And the way the devil got Eve to believe other than what God had said was to introduce a question mark. The first question mark in the Bible did not come from God, did not come from Adam, did not come from Eve. Go back and do your reading. The first question mark in the Bible came from the devil the snake is the one that asked the first question, and his tactics hasn't changed. What he did was he asked them, did God really say? I can always tell what kingdom is trying to come after me by the way they describe, talk, or make me think about God. Anytime I'm questioning the goodness, the faithfulness, the ability, the love of God, that's not coming from the kingdom of God, that's coming from the kingdom of darkness. And when you question, "Does God love you?" That's a telltale sign that this is the devil. Isn't it odd that Eve didn't jump out of her skin when the snake spoke to her? I got to be honest with you, the snake don't even got to speak; just can be in the room with me, and I'm jumping. All right, but it never said Eve jumped. Why is that? Why does she stand and listen to a snake? Because I got to be honest with you, it don't got to be a snake. If my cat, tomorrow, I walk into the living room and it says, Hey, Cricket, I'm going to be climbing the wall. I mean, something's odd. That's odd. But this snake speaking to Eve was not odd. Why? The only way I can figure is because it wasn't the first time. And it didn't start that way. He slowly started hissing little words into her ear. And by the point that she was able to identify where it was coming from, it wasn't weird anymore. That's the way the devil lies to a lot of us. He starts slowly whispering these lies that if he would have just jumped right out and said, you're no good, you could be like, ah, that's not true. God paid escape. He's only gotten some for me. But he doesn't. He starts speaking lowly with thoughts that identify with decisions and past mistakes and things that you've done to where that voice is not a weird voice. So we allow it to stay. And the longer you allow it to stay, the more powerful it becomes. You've got to understand, God's word is not the only prophetic voice in this world. The devil's voice is just as prophetic as the voice of God. And the Bible says this whichever one I choose to believe will be my future. The Bible says that there were 12 spies that went into the garden, and in that, I mean, went into the promised land. Ten of them did not hear the voice of God. God said that they would defeat the giants and they would possess the land. Ten of them listened to a different voice, came back and they said and repeated what voice it was they heard. And they said, they're bigger, the land is good, everything God said, but look at them. They questioned the hand of God and they were right. Think about it. They were right. Whatever voice... You choose to believe. Whatever voice you hold on to is truth. Whatever voice you allow to remain above any other voice will sit and tell your destiny and your future. That's why knowing what voice speaking to you is so important. In this story, the Bible says that they came to this wedding and they had high expectations for this to be an amazing thing. When they got there, they found out that their dreams were not going to be fulfilled because of problems that has arisen. Now, understanding kingdom thinking, you've got to understand that there is no such thing as a problem in the kingdom of light. There are only problems in the kingdom of darkness. In the kingdom of light, there's only opportunity. That's why when they came to Jesus and said, Who sinned? This man was born blind. Dumbest question I ever heard. Did he sin? Well, if he was born blind, that means he would have had to sin in the womb. So that right there takes care of the abortion question for you. Life begins in the womb, obviously, if you can mess up in the womb. All right? That's free too. All right? But (laughs) so they said, said, did his mother and father, which would make sense. because. But i got to be honest with you. God's not going to punish a kid because of your sin. No. Why then? Jesus said this, because in the kingdom of light, the only reason there's problems exist is so that God can be glorified. Every problem in the kingdom of God is opportunity or a moment for miracle. The same thing in the kingdom of darkness is what will destroy you. And so we get to choose what kingdom. And in this story, there were people... In, that hadn't stepped into the kingdom of God yet, and they didn't realize that the presence of a problem was not sign of failure, but it was moment for opportunity. God uses problems for purpose. Saying that to say this, every person in here was created. We all have this in common: that we have a purpose of God connected to each one of our lives. And what purpose is, purpose is what makes your life make sense. Purpose is what makes your life fulfilled. Purpose is what makes you be able to get up every day and be happy and have everything you need and everything you want because that is God's plan for you. The reason why that is God's plan for you, because again, it says His will is that none should perish. So if there is an opportunity for people to perish, God has provided a solution for that to be changed or that to be different. And the solution He came up with was you. You are the solution that God chose for people not to go to hell. Isn't that pretty amazing? Amazing. You say, well, no, Cricket, Jesus is. Let me go back to understanding what Jesus did. The entire Old Testament was written and penned by the Holy Spirit for us to become and understand how and what God does and how He moves. In the Old Testament, people were observers of the hand of God in the New Testament. They saw God at a distance. In the New Testament, the first thing Jesus preached was this repent Matthew 4:17 and be baptized. I mean he said repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Another way to say that is this. Change the way you're thinking about things because now the kingdom of God is arrived and things are about to change. And the reason why he said that was this because he didn't come to earth and live on earth 33 years as fully God although he was fully God but he chose to give up presence, He chose to give up all this other stuff, all the cosmic power Jeannie talks about in Aladdin. He gave up all of that stuff not to come to earth as God, but to come to earth as man. Why? To show us what a man that is in right standing with God can do on this earth. That's the entire reason why Jesus did a ministry for three years. He said this, these things that you see me do, you're going to do greater. How can that possibly be? Because he simply set an example of what it is we're supposed to live. That being said in this story, what is our solution? You are a purpose to a problem that the world without Jesus desperately needs. You're the one that's going to bring Jesus into your family. You're the one that's going to bring Jesus onto your job. You're the one that's going to bring Jesus into your relationships. And if you don't, then the truth could be that people would perish and go to hell. This is bigger than you. This is bigger than me. So what we need to do is what does it take to become purpose? Well, purpose takes two things. One. Purpose takes passion. Passion is the fuel for purpose. In other words, how do I find what God put me here to do? It's not that hard. You've got to start looking at what excites you, what makes you happy, what, passion, what gets you passionate about things. And that's a sign to what you're purpose is. People say, well, if you, know, if you want to be happy, you just live your passions every day. No, you want to get in trouble, live your passions every day. All right. Uh, the truth is this. You make your passions get behind your purpose and you will find yourself being happy every day. So passion is the first thing you need. The second thing you need to fulfill purpose is problem. Because you've got to understand God is the answer of all problems. And so the very problem that you've been facing and thinking that's against you to destroy you, the devil's trying to kill you, trying to stop you, you need to understand, the very problem that the devil brings up is the very purpose that God put you in the middle of it for in the first place. God puts you in the middle of a problem because you are the solution to the situation of the kingdom of darkness at work in that place. So God puts you there. Mary showed up at this wedding and she understood that my relationship with Jesus has the power to affect everybody else I come in contact with. And so when she was at a party and the world began to find life lacking, they came to the one that had a relationship with Jesus. Let me ask you this. Does your family, do your co-workers, do your people that you know, when they're going through things, do they call you to get you to pray over it? Do they call it because they know you for your relationship and God? Or do you come to you and say, Who can we call? The question is this. The reason why you're in the situation with the problem in it in the first place is because God wants you to be the one that brought Jesus into it. So people should see that you are a Christian and that you are connected to Christ because when you're connected to Christ, you become the solution to the problem. The problem with that is this. Most of us have so many issues that we can't be used because we think that our issues disqualify us. But that's not true. The Bible says this. Don't clean the cup up bring the cup. What's on the inside of the cup is not your job to take care of anyway. So I say, I tried so hard to be a Christian for so many years and I failed miserably. But when I quit trying to be a Christian and I decided that I was just going to follow Jesus and let him do what I couldn't do, everything began to change. When we find the disciples, we don't, Find Jesus picking people that knew the Word. i got to be honest, there's a lot of people in here, and there are some people in here today that just came here because you love the Word. You love coming to church and hearing the Word. You love quoting the Word. You love reciting the Word. You love the Word. You spend hours a day living in the Word, but the problem with it is you can know the Word and not know the one that spoke it. I got text messages all in my phone from my wife texting me stuff. And I could show them to you and they wouldn't mean nothing. As a matter of fact, they might even sound rude at some of them because she put some orders in there, clean the dishes, feed the dog, all that. But the truth of the matter is when I read those texts, I don't see words, I see relation. Because I know Jennifer and it doesn't bother me when she says, hey, when you get home, will you clean the dishes? Because we're in relationship and out of that relationship, the benefits are greater than the dishes. And so I don't mind being told, but there are some people that are so in love with the word that they quote it, they recite it, they, they declare it. The thing about it is, because the word is not what's going to work for you. It's the one that spoke the word that will do the work. Jesus never one time called a disciple. They knew the word better than anybody else. They could quote the person, and yet they were missing on what missing out on what God was calling the kingdom of God to do at the time you got to be in more love than the word I got to be honest with you there are some people that just are here today because you're in love with your church you like the social side of it it's got good looking people in it the preachers are always so cool alright but but then you love your church y'all didn't even get that the only one alright but the church isn't going to do it for you what's going to do Do you understand it? that when the world has a problem, they're going to come to the ones that have a relationship with Jesus. So in this story, Jesus, Mary's relationship with Jesus had become so evident that when they came to her, her first response was to turn to Jesus. Turn to that relationship. Out of that, this is what she said. Now let me ask you this. Why do you think they went to Mary? I think they went to Mary because she had a closer relationship to Jesus than any of the rest of them. If you've ever had a goal in your life to set, that should be it. Because I can tell you, you can do the world more good if you decide I'm going to be closer to Jesus than anyone else has ever been, than you will ever do by effort and energy you could ever put into anything else. It was Mary's relationship to Jesus that made the difference in this party. Then this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, so she looked at them and Jesus even got on to her. That's crazy. That's the weird part about this story. He said, woman, don't try that if you grew up in my house. Elaine, don't play games like Mary. And he said, woman. And this is what her response was. As a matter of fact, he was trying to talk her out of it. And he looked at, she looked at the people that were in need. And she said, whatever he says, do it. I want you to know something. The Word of God doesn't do anything by knowing it. The Word of God changes things when you do it. When you begin to do what God has told you to do, it may not make sense to you. It may be so foreign. And I got—I want to say this to somebody in here today. I just feel it so strong. There's somebody saying, God, why won't you use me? And God is saying, when are you going to do what I told you to do? You keep waiting for God to tell you what to do. And God's waiting on you to do what He's already showed you that you need to He hasn't changed His mind. He's waiting on you. Finish this in two minutes. That's what it said. It said that they came to Him. And he said, whatever you say, do. When you start taking the words of Jesus, and even if you don't understand them, and you begin to act them out or live them, things start happening in your life that you can't explain. Seven years ago, I was $80,000 in debt. This year, I'm on my way to being a millionaire. It don't make no sense. How can that be? It's because Jesus' Word works. When you do what Jesus' Word says to do. Mary got this. And she, got, she understood that me showing up at a party when the world doesn't have what they need, and they see me doing what Jesus says to. It changes not just the party for me, but it has the power to change the party for everyone involved in the situation. Paul and Silas proved that in jail. Every prisoner in chain got set free when they simply obeyed God and lived the way he told them to. Now, this is important. So he came to him and he said this. He said, whatever you say, do, do. And then Jesus took over in this story. He so he looked over and he saw two pots. Now these pots would have been in every Jewish home. And they're probably been overlooked by most people that walk into a house because it goes into detail and tells us what pots these were. said, of stone. And it says that are used for the purification of the Jews. So it goes in detail and it lets me know. These were hand and foot washing pots that they keep at the door that people needed to take advantage of before they could enter into the party. Alright, it was the law. So they would come in and wash their hands and their feet. So you got to understand, they didn't put their fine china in this position. And they didn't put their crystal vases. They put stone pots. Wasn't anything special about them. Wasn't anything fancy. They weren't bejeweled or bedazzled. They didn't have a neat paint job. Why? Because God's not looking for the extraordinary. God's looking for somebody that says, God, take the ordinary and use me in a way... That you would want to use me. This is the nature of the king. That's why God told his disciples, go get a wild A-double-S, is what it says in your King James. Get a wild A-double-S that is bound. Unbind him and bring him to me. And if anyone tries to stop you from doing what I'm telling you to do, he said, tell them that the master, one translation says, the father has need, one translation says, purpose you want to know how to get on purpose find a need that you can meet because see fire always falls on sacrifice you want fire God to fall on you find somewhere to sacrifice I don't got time to get into it but in Elijah and the Baal prophets they killed a bull and put it on an altar and they danced and they cut they put on the whole show and it was Elijah he got the same altar same bull killed it then he added something to it that the Baal guys didn't. He said, pour water on the altar. Very important. Why? Because God always causes fire to fall on sacrifice. Water was the most valuable thing on the planet in this story. There had been three years of famine. The most valuable thing, the most life-giving thing, the most thing that you would have had to pay for, he said, pour it there. And the Bible says, when they poured it, fire from heaven fell, lapped up the water... Burn up the wood, burn up the stones in the offering. But it started with the water. You, you say, well, God, I need you to empower my life. Start sacrificing. You get somewhere and start serving. You say, well, Cricket, I don't like to serve. Well, you don't like to be on fire for God because God always sets on fire. Sacrifice. So you want to be on fire for God? Start showing up when nobody's here. And start doing things that nobody's doing better than anybody's ever done them before. And you're going to find your life begins to ignite and catch on fire in a way that you could not have imagined. But so Jesus looked at these pots and he said they weren't ordinary. They were usable. And you can look on the outside and think that. But what about the inside? These were hand washing pots and foot washing pots. That means everybody that walked in looked in these and put their hand in the water and got all the nasty off and then put their feet in the water and got all the nasty off. Now we got two pots that were sitting in a place that now once had water in them but now that water has been tainted by outside sources. And see the enemy thinks if he can taint you enough if he can put enough outside hurts wounds, mistakes, regrets, bitterness, unforgiveness, if he can let outside influences change the condition of what's on the inside of you, the enemy knows it will render you to a place of unusable. So let me explain to you why the enemy let the dad abuse you the way he did. Let me explain to you why the marriage fell apart and God didn't step in and intervene. Let me explain to you why the kid got sick and you had to walk through that. The reason is, it's not that God doesn't love you. It's that the devil knows your potential and he thinks he can stop you. If I can taint the inside, they're unusable. If I can taint the inside, They're undrinkable. This goes to another story in John chapter 4 about a woman who brought a bucket to a well. Let me tell you how important this is, and this is super good. Because this story's been preached about this girl in in John chapter 4, and I've heard it preached a million times about this was the center of all sinners. How many of you guys have heard? The woman at the well... Five marriages and shacking. Alright, this is a bad girl. I want to challenge you just for a minute. I don't think she was that bad. I think she was a church girl. Reason why I think she was a church girl is because if you go back and read the story, you find Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden something clicked on the inside of him and he said, I must go to Samaria. Wasn't a want to desire it had it became a had to. You want me to- you know something, anytime one of God's kids are in trouble, there's a must involved in heaven. Don't you think God's going to let somebody do something to you that he's not aware of, or you're going to go through something? The king is very aware. But then it said this, He says, she came, it says, Jesus, when he said, I must go, says he went to Jerusalem, when he got there, he I mean, went to Samaria. when he got there, he sat down He says he was tired. He sat there and rested. Only place in the scripture I've been able to find that Jesus got tired. Dude was a tough man. Don't you ever think Jesus was sissy? Man, he was able to stay up all night and pray when disciples weren't. He was able to take a beating and still pull across. He was able to get punched in the face and not strike back. That's a tough dude. I'm not there yet. Don't try. Alright? This is what took place. He knew... That the enemy was going to do things. And would try to stop you. And Jesus sat down at this well. And she came and sat down right beside him. The Bible says she had a bucket he didn't. Very, you got to get this. She had something that he needed. That he did not have. This is so important because if you don't get this part. You're going to think the dirt on the inside disqualifies. But it doesn't. The Bible says that he looked there and said, give me a drink. And she says, you don't even got a bucket. See, he had plenty of time to go get a bucket. He got there early. He didn't go get a bucket. He wasn't looking for somebody to do the work. He was somebody, he was looking for somebody he could do a work through. Don't let the devil think that God just wanted to use you and abuse you and spit you aside. Don't let the devil ever tell you all the church wants to do is use you. Are you crazy? That's the devil. Anytime there's a question mark about the character of God, that's the devil. And this is what he said. He said, I want to drink. And she goes, you don't got to go. And so they got to talking. And said, how do you he said, Craig, why do you think she's a church girl? Because in the conversation of the talking, she said this. She says, you and the Jews worship in the synagogue. She goes, my forefathers worship in the mountains. She came from a church-going family that knew how to worship God. But yet, still, so her life was full of divorce, and she was shacking. Why? Because I don't believe she was that bad of a person. What I've learned about this in life is this, that I don't sin because I want to. I sin because I think I have to. I think I have to to escape or get out of her, to find peace or comfort. And I don't believe she got married five times because she liked going through divorces. Anybody ever been through one? All right. Do you think and dream about going back to them like you do Disney World? They're no fun. I mean, it's not a thrill ride. All right? So she'd been through it five times. First marriage. She married all these dreams and all these hopes, thinking God was going to give her such a great future. And then the enemy happened and her marriage fell apart. The brokenness. The shattered dreams. That she met somebody else. She jumped into another marriage thinking that, all right, I messed up then. I understand. Picked the wrong guy. Maybe now, and this one ended that way. Five times. And I don't care who you are. After three or four divorces, you would probably learn if few. You could have made the fifth one work. But circumstances were stacked against her. And now she found herself living a life that was much lower than she used to dream about living. She was living with the guy that wouldn't even commit to her. He was just using her for what she could, he could get out of it without willing to pay the price relationship should cost. So she was now living a life of being used and abused. I don't think she was late that day because she was worried about what people thought. I don't know about you, but when you've been through hell and back, you quit caring about what people think. You just want to survive. I believe she got up and got there at 12 o'clock because after five marriages in those days, she had five or six children now that she was having to survive And why would you live with a man that would treat you like a dog? It's obviously because you were now living for something more than you. And you needed your kids to have a roof over their head. You needed somebody to help you do this thing. And me and Jennifer, we have three kids. And there's two of us, and I'm going to be honest with you, it's hard for us to get to school on time some days with both shoes on, all right? So I understand her schedule. I don't think she cared about people and what they thought because if you read the next chapter, she went right to the ones that preacher saved you. I think she was doing everything she could do to survive. And Jesus showed up and said, listen, what you really need is what I have. And I will give it to you but you're going to have to be willing to give me what you have that I don't. What is that? The water on the inside of you is the only thing that Jesus don't have, but He desperately needs. At what? No matter what condition the water's in, in Revelations 12, verse 11, it says this, and they, Meaning team effort. It's a plural word. They. Can't get singular out of they. It says they will destroy the works of the devil. By the blood of the Lamb. Which Jesus is. By the not loving your own life unto death. Jesus is. But then it says this. By the word of our testimony. Jesus don't have a testimony. Because to have a testimony, you first have to have brokenness, sin, Failure. And you take that failure, that sin, and you give it to Jesus. And it's an exchange, the Bible says. He gives you righteousness, but He takes your sin. But see, Jesus ain't going to keep sin long. Because Jesus in that moment transforms it into testimony. And when you give God the water, He doesn't want to change you. What He does is, He changes your water story. If you read the story, he told him this. He said, Fill the pots with water. But what were they out of? But why did he fill it with? But they were lacking wine. What we think we need God to do, a lot of times, is not what God's going to do. Why? Because the key is in what she told him. She said, Do what? Ever. Everybody say whatever. You're allowed to tell God what? You're not allowed to go- tell God how. Because God's how involves more than you. And this way they, they did it. And it says, fill the pots with water. It says, then he told them, dip the water. Never change terminology here. Dip the water out. The very thing that people have been washing their sin off with the hurt, the bitterness, the pain all the external influences that have been put on the inside of these pots Jesus said pull that out and bring it to the master because when you let God pull out your dirt and bring it to the master it says and when he drank the water it became wine Could it be that their wine is in your water? Could it be that their freedom could be somehow locked up in your bondage? Could it be their joy is somehow locked up into your misery or your pain? See, God don't waste nothing. So if He's allowed pain, He has a purpose connected to it. And the purpose He has connected to it is not for you. It's a trust. It's so that when it's dipped out and it's carried to others, God can use what was broken in you to bring great joy in the life of other people. When you understand this, you can react different. Joseph understood this. And the hurt, the brokenness, the bitterness that his brothers, that he had a right to hold. His brothers did some rough stuff. You know he had some tainted water. But when he got put in the place for that water to be dipped out, this is what he said. What you have done on the inside of me, God has turned for his pleasure. Why? So that many could be saved. Why has God let it been so bad? Why did God let you run out? Why did God let this happen? Because God now wants to take what the enemy has done on the inside of your life and have it dipped out and be brought to someone that has no hope of being able to turn their situation around at all. Why? Because they don't have the relationship that you have. And the very water... Can you imagine what that water looked like? Probably had a toenail, Band-Aid, all kind of stuff floating in it. And see, the enemy convinces a lot of it if I talk about my abuse if I talk about my depression, if I talk about my brokenness, if I talk about my unforgiveness, that it disqualifies me. And this is what freedom says. You talk about what the devil did in your life. You let God bring it out. God will do something with it so that everybody will start talking about it too. But it won't be sin anymore. It'll be testimony. And testimony is what destroys the works of the devil. Anything... That the enemy's done on the inside. And I'm willing to let God draw out. God will use to bring wine to those that are thirsty. Do you hear what I'm saying? Freedom has to be a part of the message of the kingdom. Because if it's not, God's will can't be done. People will die and people will go to hell. But if you will understand kingdom and you will let... some, You know what I've learned? When you're doing this, you've saved the best wine to last price don't set quality of wine. You know what does? Absence of water. I didn't know this until I studied it. What makes wine more valuable is the lower percentage of water that's left in it once it's been through the process of fermentation. What does that mean? That means the more I let God do a work on the inside of me, the more He can use me to do a work For the inside, I mean the outside for him. This is what freedom looks like. Freedom is me reaching in and pulling out my greatest, hardest, darkest secrets that others have done, that I have done, that has happened in and around me. And I've allowed what I went through to get on the inside of me and I let God pull that out and in His hands he take it and he put it into the hands of others that need it. It goes from being failure to power. It goes from being misery to ministry. It goes from being shame to salvation. This is the process of freedom. It's not about you. It's about all of those that would die without. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus looked there and said if you knew what I had you would ask me for a drink. She wasn't a bad girl. She was just trying to do it without him. How many of you guys have been trying to do this thing without him? You might go to church, you love the Bible, but you've been trying to do this thing without him. This is what I've learned about my walk with the Lord is that I quit trying to be a Christian and I simply just do what Jesus told me to do. When he found Peter, Peter's business was failing. He was working tons of overtime. Still didn't have enough to pay the bills. And everybody around him saw him failing miserably. You say, well, how do you see that? Where's that in the Bible? Well, when Jesus showed up to him fishing, it says they had fished and toiled, toiled means hard, all night and they had caught nothing. His business was failing. He had done worked overtime and he'd been away from his family and had nothing to bring home. He was lacking. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible said Jesus walked up and said... Cast out to the deep, and Jesus says, Well, Peter said, We fished all night, he said, But at your word, this one I love, this word only shows up four times in the New Testament. It says, Nevertheless, at your word. Jesus used that word, He said, Not my will, He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will, four times in the Bible, said, nevertheless. That's very important because this is what it says anytime you act on God's word, your life will never be less than what it is right now. Isn't that a powerful promise? Nevertheless. So when they let Jesus pull it out, can you imagine the guy that pulled it out? If you read it, it says, they didn't tell the master where it came from. Why? Because he probably would have lost his life if the master would have known he was drinking foot water. Alright? But he had to trust God that you're going to take this dirty thing that I dipped out of an ordinary pot and I go and give it to the master that the master will see the value And what has coming out of a pot that has been used and abused in the past? That's the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it, for it is the power of God to save, to change, to deliver, to set free. God still does miracles. God's still a powerful, miracle working God. The problem is, God's not in relationship with enough people or enough Christians for us to see the power of God at work anymore. And the way you see God's power at work is you let Him pull from the inside what the devil's tried to use to destroy your outside. And you let him have it. And he takes it to others. And when he takes it to others, it brings life and joy everywhere it touches. Can I pray over you real quick? I'm done. I threw about five things in here wasn't supposed to be in here and I don't know why. Other than the Holy Spirit's prompting this. There's somebody in here that thinks that they've gone too far, life has been too bad. And that they're just now going through the motions, but they're never going to live the life that they see other people live because of the stuff that's in your water. here to tell you, today is your day of freedom. I don't know who you are, but you will be set free today if you will simply do what He said to do. So I'm just going to ask you, I don't know who it is, I didn't do this in the early service. This is for you. If that's you, the enemy's convinced you it's too far, it's too gone. But God, is going to turn that thing for you. This is a turning in your life. Would you simply, just as bold as you can, jump up and come up here and let some people pray for you and help you get set free? Do you understand the importance of this moment? Not every moment's the same. What if they would have skipped the upper room? They'd have spent their life chasing. Most people spend their life chasing moves of God because they're not willing to move when God moves. You've got to understand. God wants to set you free and change it. So if you're here Daniel, you say, you that's me, I'm too far. Get up right now and come on. Quit being afraid. Your life's about to shift. If not, I'm just going to pray for everybody in this room. And you can catch me later. I'm a, if I'm a convinced of anything, I know you're in here. You're not getting by. God's got your number. And he wants your life to have purpose. So you catch me before I leave here today. I'll pray with you. If you don't catch me, Brother Donald will be here. Catch him. But you need to be prayed with. You need freedom. You need God to break something off of your life so that you can walk into everything that He has for you. Amen. Father God, I pray right now. Lord, I ask you, the same way you did it in Genesis, I ask you to take your Word, and Holy Spirit, I ask you to put it to work in the hearts of each person in here tonight. I ask you to begin to move, shift, change. God, I ask you to bring things from the inside that the enemy has tried to bring against people to destroy their future. And I ask you right now, God, to begin to turn it for their good. Turn it for their good, for your kingdom in the name of Jesus. I think your turning situation. I think right now you're turning a help problem around right now. Right now, in the name of Jesus, help is changing for somebody. It's turning for their good. I you, right now that divorce and marriage is working for your good. It's not to destroy you. Thank you that... Father God, everything that your will is to do, you're turning it into our lives so that many can be saved in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know what I love? I know I'm over, I'm over. I love that Jesus said, I don't ever have to try to do anything. As a matter of fact, every time I try to be a Christian, I get out of the will of God. The devil told Jesus, prove that you're the Son of God by turning these stones. He said, "I." Right, do something to prove you're a son of God. And Jesus said, I'm not going to play that game. Because if I try to prove it, if i got to prove it one time, i got to spend the rest of my life proving it. It's not about proving. What this thing's about is about be, And so you are everything God created you to be. You just have to stand up and live it out. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. You can rejoice because it's going to work good for you. God bless you. You're dismissed. May God cause His peace to shine upon you, or His face shine upon you and give you peace. God bless you. You're dismissed.